Thank you so much, Brittany and team. That was awesome. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray again. I know we've been praying. I just wanted to pray that <laughs> truth that we just sang. So, Lord, it would be incredible if we saw ourselves not what um, the voices around us say who we are, but who you say that we are. That would be amazing, Lord. Be incredible. And Lord, I know it's a struggle. Those voices can be strong. Um, So help us to really grow in that. Help us to learn that. To recognize your voice. Recognize who you have died for us to be and define ourselves along those lines. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. It was my first year of uh, full-time ministry. I graduated from college and blessed through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and uh, wanted to give back, serve on staff. I, I moved to Decatur, Illinois, and lived there, served uh, two schools, Millican and Bradley in Peoria. And I was living with um, my supervisor, actually. Um, he was, uh, his name was Alan. He was a few years younger than me. He had been in, in uh, uh, InterVarsity staff, a, a campus pastor for a couple more years than me. So he was a mentor. He was a good friend. We really got along well. The Lord really used him to minister to me and help me understand um, But in that year, that first year, um, we hit a significant bump and disagreement. Um, He was single, but he was engaged to be married to Diane. Was also uh, uh, she was a student in Millican, and she was the student president of the InterVarsity chapter, and so. Um, we did have this awkward dynamic that was uh, happening there. And uh, kind of halfway through the year, as things were going along, um, there's an issue, there's a, a student that had kind of communicated to others that she liked me and wanted to date me. And I was, uh, you know, I was just one year removed from uh, college, so I was in that age, but I had was managing it, was said, I'm not going to date anyone for a year, especially students and so forth. And, um, and so uh, Alan and Diane sat me down and kind of wanted to process the situation and were giving some counsel and so forth. So they did that. We walked away. And I shared with Alan later, I said, listen, Alan, I'm, uh, I was a little uncomfortable, felt like Diane... Yeah, she's your fiance, but she's a student, and I'm supposed to be in spiritual authority over her, and she's kind of speaking to me in a way that um, I was uncomfortable with, so in the future, um, can we maintain this relationship but not include Diane? That did not go over well. He went back to Diane. They felt like anyone should be able to speak uh, to me this give counsel and so forth. I disagreed. I felt like it was a crossing of some uh, mentor-mentee boundary lines and so forth. So this bump happened to such a degree that it created an issue and we went to our immediate supervisor 
immediate supervisor went to the area director. We tried to process all these things out. Um, we did come to a level of peace and finished out the year. However, I found out that I was labeled as unteachable. Didn't have a teachable spirit. So it was a question of whether I would serve the following year. So we've been talking about sacred friendships. And uh, um, really, that's uh, actually a value that we have, a family value in the church. We have three family values. One of them is sacred friendships. Another is deep spiritual formation. The third is empowered witness. But the sacred friendship is a really crucial in the idea that we believe that we are called to different kind of relationships, different kind of friendships, whether friendship within a marriage, among fellow students or friends, whether a parent to child, that, that God should influence, the gospel should transform every relationship that we have to such a degree that our relationships, not just our marriages, right? Marriages get all the, the, the vocal time from the pulpit. We talk about that. But we don't talk enough about the gospel should transform friendships, whether co-workers, whether friendships at church, and that there should be an element of our friendship that you could call sacred and that those sacred friendships in themselves would be a testimony to the goodness of God. Week one, we, we've been looking at some sacred friendships in scripture. We looked at Jesus and John and, and saw this incredible intimacy that the love of God means that we get first and foremost to have a sacred friend in God himself. That's pretty amazing, right? And yet learned this principle of sacred friendship that, that our friendship should flow from the love we experience through the Father. Love others as he has loved you, right? We shouldn't love one another based on what we think they deserve. That's the secular way, right? That's the worldly way. That we should love based on how we've been loved by the Father. Set the bar really high on that one, right? <laughs> Last week, we set the bar pretty high as well. We looked at Ruth and Naomi and this incredible relationship between a, a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. And we saw Ruth reflect the kindness of God, the loving kindness that was, that was unexpected, that was unique, that the whole community of Bethlehem and Israel saw, wow, she is loving her mother-in-law in this way that reflects the kindness of God talked about this principle of in relationships that we, we reap what we sow. <laughs> we reap what we sow, right? So if we, if, we, if we long for kindness, we should be sowing kindness. If we long for forgiveness, if we want to see the, the, the fruit of forgiveness in our relationships, we should sow that. I felt like we, in talking about sacred friendships, that we should talk about conflict. I would love to say that sacred friendships does not have conflict. I just don't think that's true. 
I, I think that on this side of heaven, there is an inevitability of conflict. That regardless, in fact, that's the testimony that we're gonna look at in scripture, regardless of the, the spiritual maturity, it seems, of people and friends, that there's still going to be conflict. So the question is not, will we face conflict even in sacred friendships? The question is, when we do, how will we handle it? Can we handle it in such a way that it would be a sacred conflict. It would be a connected to God conflict. That we could handle disagreements and struggles, even wounds in a way that would honor God. Boy, that would be a testimony, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a testimony to this broken and divided and conflicted world if God's people, though they wrestled with disagreements and conflicts, that, that we figured out a way to make those conflicts sacred? That'd be awesome. So we're going to talk about conflict actually this week and next week in two different relationships. And this first relationship we're going to talk about is Paul and Barnabas. If you've brought your, your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to look at, it was for Saul, and then he turned his name to, to Paul, or God did that. And they certainly were sacred friends, Right? They, the story that unfolds in the book of Acts in the early church is that Saul was persecuting the church. He had a conversion story, gives his life to Christ, but the, the early church was still hesitant to like trust Saul, like he was being murderous. So you can understand the hesitation. Well, Barnabas, the encourager, he was in Antioch in this early church and the Lord was working in Antioch in a neat way. And he remembers this controversial figure named Saul, who would be Paul. And so he goes to Tarsus and gets uh, Saul and brings him back to Antioch, right? And, um, and it, immediately Saul in connection with Barnabas, Barnabas is kind of way in, and we see, this is, uh, I'll just read Acts eleven twenty six. It says, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The sensitivity and the thoughtfulness of Barnabas brought in Saul, and now they're being used and and they were both teaching. And, and things were going so well that Barnabas and Saul decided to go on their first mission trip together. Right? They, were, uh, they were Batman and Robin together going around the Mediterranean. And they're doing this first, um, uh, this first mission trip that goes so well they end up in Antioch. In fact, they were so co closely connected that the church faces its first big theological dilemma. And that was the Gentiles who were converting to Christianity. Some Christian Jews said they need to be circumcised. They need to follow some aspects of the Old Testament law. Others said no. Barnabas and Saul said no. Barnabas and Saul were the tag team that they sent to Jerusalem 
to advocate for the Gentiles that they don't need to be circumcised. And in fact, through the testimony of Barnabas and Saul, they, they win the day theologically. They, they preserve the unity of the church, which is awesome, Acts 15. And things have gone so well and their partnership has been so good, they decide on a second mission trip. And that's where the bump happens. And we just get a little picture of this bump. It's at the end of Acts 15, starting at verse 36, says, Sometime later, this is after the council within Jerusalem, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. Many refer to him as John Mark. Turns out he was the cousin of Barnabas with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. See that earlier in the story of their first mission trip. John Mark left in the midst of the first mission trip and had not continued with them in the work. Verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and called, sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And we follow Paul and Silas. So I read that, I still remember reading that story and going, what a bummer. Like, like these two leaders, right? These sacred friends, the, their partnership had done so much compelling work within the kingdom of God and, and they separate. Right? Isn't that just a little bit sad? And, and you know, uh, biblical scholars and so forth, they say, well, you know, it, there is a silver lining. There's a good thing, right? They, they were going to do one missionary journey. Now they have two missionary journeys. So yeah, did God bring good through the disagreement? He did. Still a bummer, right? Still, no? Are you guys, yeah? All right. One question I had is who was right? Yes. No, who was wrong? There was the yes, maybe. Yes, that's good. You guys have trained you so well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we have enough information from Scripture to really say, well, I think Barnabas was right or wrong or so forth. In fact, we don't know, in fact, the details of John Mark and why he left in the midst of the first missionary journeys. And I think that would relate to the why. Did he simply get discouraged? Did he lose faith? 
Did it become too hard? Some have said maybe so. Maybe there was, that was actually not a particularly fruitful time in that first missionary journey could have left. And, and that seems to be, oh, well, maybe Paul was right that he needed to do that. Was it a theological issue? This was before the council. This is what I thought of, that, that maybe Mark, uh, John Mark, who was a Jewish Christian, and they weren't inviting the, the Gentile believers to be circumcised. Maybe he was wrestling with that. Maybe he disagreed with that. So maybe he de- departed because of theological reasons. We just don't know why he left. And I think that would weigh in. And we don't know. We All we get with Paul and Barnabas is, as they talked about it, this such a sharp disagreement happened. We don't know what they said. We don't know the points that they were making. So I don't know if we can really determine right or wrong from that. And maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe what we're supposed to do is say, Lord, if conflicts, it seems like conflicts are going to happen even in the body of Christ, even among Christians, even among uh, um, siblings when they're, they're believers and they're followed, that, that disagreements and maybe disagreements that aren't based in sin. No one is actively sinning, so it's not a clear, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong. Uh, but say, God, how are we to handle those conflicts in such a way that that glory gives you glory and honor and praise. So I want to talk about it from that angle a little bit. We don't have tons of information in this short interchange and and this um, difference of opinion. But I just want to highlight what I, I would say two things that in a very general way this passage of scripture, this relationship highlights for us and just that we can take away, as I said, we're gonna talk a little bit more about conflict next week as well. But I wanna give two thoughts from scripture that I think if we did these two things, it would really help us in times of conflict and disagreement. And I would say the first one is that when we hit a conflict, we need to be mindful of our initial human reaction. That um, what all the sociologists would say is that it's human, typical human behavior. If you have a conflict, you do one of two things. Fight or flight. Right? You, when you hear, when there's a struggle, there's a difficulty, right? We do fight or flight. We just got a Jack Russell Terrier puppy. That's why I look a little bit, uh, I don't have quite enough sleep right now preaching to you, but, but I, I don't think he has seen a sock or a toy that he does not want to take on. Like he is a fighter, he's an engager, he goes after it, right? We, we lost uh, our other dog. Um, he was a mixed, he was a rescue, a German shepherd, and he was very big, and he never saw a conflict that he wanted to hang around with. He took off on the opposite, just he was gone. Like even, no matter how small the dog was, gone in that way. I think this is human reaction, that when we hit conflict, some of us, and you know who you are, are conflict avoidant, yes? Yes? Don't we, ooh, I'm out. 
right? A, a little difficulty, a struggle. Many, this happens in church a lot, right? That uh, all of a sudden people stop coming and I call, how's it going? Well, I had this issue with so-and-so. Well, well let's work it out. No, I, I think I'm done. Right? That happens in a lot of relationships, doesn't it? A lot of friendships. Unfortunately, it happens in a lot of marriages. I'm out. I did that. I'm out. Or sometimes we fight in a very unhealthy way. And I think one of the first principles is simply this contrary to human nature, rather than the fight or the fight, uh, a flight. We commit to healthy engagement. That we recognize that conflict is a part of life, including life in the kingdom of God. And we commit to healthy engagement. We don't know the details of Paul and, and, and Barnabas. We don't know what they had, but we, we see that they engaged. They wrestled through. In fact, sharp, it's so funny, you look at the different translations, and all of them, like King James translates it, sharp disagreement. NIV, sharp. ESV, sharp. So I, very specifically, there's a, it was a sharp disagreement. They were engaged. They disagreed. They felt strongly. They were in it. And they engaged, at, at least we can say they, they tried to resolve it before and, and stay united. I would say, would you think for a moment about the power of words in conflict? Words are crucial. Of course, we know from the specialist, communication is essential. But, but the words are dramatic. Proverbs 26, 20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. We're gonna communicate in the midst of conflict. All of us are gonna communicate. It's just often we communicate with the wrong people. And we do it in the hurtful ways. Right? Scripture says, engage one another. Talk to the person that you have the conflict with. What do we often do? In love, yes, but what do we do? We, we talk to others. We, talk, we try and build our case. We probably, Can you believe so-and-so? I can't, that was, no. That. And so we're communicating, are we not? Just to the wrong people in the wrong ways. There's a, 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 a book, a famous book called Crucial Conversations. It was uh, uh, New York Best Time Sellers, Crucial Conversation. They said, they, they did a survey and a study, and they said 95% of a company's workforce struggles to speak up to their colleagues about their concerns and struggles that there's no training in interpersonal relationships that helps people handle conflict or, or differences of opinion. They were saying from a business perspective, that's the resource, it's a resource sapping avoidance tactics that's costing businesses thousands, even you could say millions 
These tactics include ruminating excessively about crucial issues, complaining, gossiping, getting angry, doing unnecessary work to avoid the other person you have the conflict with. Right? They're, they're seeing all this. In extreme cases of avoidance, the organization's bottom line is hit dramatically. They're, they're saying from a business perspective, because we don't handle conflict well, right, businesses are hurting. They're losing money. I was thinking from a relational standpoint, how much are we losing? From, from a spiritual standpoint, from a church standpoint, how, what's the high cost of being really bad at conflict? I mean, it's almost as if the enemy would know we're, we're really bad, so if a church is doing well, he'd try and to sow in some conflict so that the good momentum of the kingdom of God that's happening in the life of people, in the life of a congregation, all of a sudden comes to a screeching halt because of conflict. It doesn't have to be just sin. It can be because of conflict. What would it look like if we saw part of spiritual formation, part of loving one another well, is by handling differences and struggles and conflict in a godly way. If we didn't run or flee, if we didn't fight or gossip in an unhealthy way, but we engaged and we thought about the power of our words. And yes, someone had it right, that we are called to connect and communicate with the person that we're struggling with, but we do it in love. We communicate in love. I'm speaking to especially those who are not conflict avoidant, but like a good argument every once in a while, right? Are some of you, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but you can elbow someone next to you if you know it's them, right? You like a little good set things straight every once in a while, right? You like to bring it. Scripture says this. I'm going to keep my eyes down. I'm not looking at anyone. <laughs> Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Isn't that neat that the apostle Paul, he recognizes, right, that speaking the truth in love is essential for our spiritual maturity, is, is essential for growth, is that this is a skill to be learned, that we're not speaking out. How many of you have said this? Hey, don't blame me. I'm just speaking the truth. Have you ever said that? Yes. Come on, everyone who is married has said that in this, right? Hey, don't blame me. I'm just telling you like it is. It is what it is. My favorite phrase, right? What are we missing? Grace. <laughs> Grace, love, 
mercy. We're called to speak the truth. We're not called to avoid. We're not called to be inauthentic or avoid the truth or or, or, uh, neglect the truth or leave it unspoken. Those of us who are conflict avoidant, that's what we can do, right? We can can get the first part of that statement wrong. We we never speak the truth because we're avoiding conflict. But some of us can get the latter part of that wrong. We speak the truth, but we don't do it in love. It's filled with judgment and condemnation. It lacks humility and blessing. Friends, I think that this is a key difference between sacred friendships and secular friendships is sacred friendships in conflict. They speak the truth in love. They engage. They realize there's two dynamics at work. Back and forth. We've been laughing a little bit, but I thought it might be a little bit more serious, so I really wanted to engage uh, you with a little humor. So I found a little video that illustrates, let's do it, it's just fun. Let's do it, it just illustrates conflict resolution, healthy conflict resolution. Let's play it. Okay, so this is the disputed poster. Now, one at a time, I want you to express your feelings using I emotion language and no judging or you statements. I got this poster for Christmas and I feel I want to see it every day. It makes me feel like the babies are the true artists and God has a really cute sense of humor. Come on, seriously, Dad. I don't like looking at it. It's crazy and in bad tasting. It's just offensive to me. It makes me think of the horrible, frigid stage mothers who forced the babies into it. It's kitsch. It's the opposite of art. It destroys art. It destroys souls. This is so more offensive to me than hardcore porn. Okay, okay, okay. Stop, stop, stop. Let's see if we can't just brainstorm and find some creative alternatives that are win-win. Win. Yes. Thank you, Pam. How about Angela makes the poster into a t-shirt which Oscar wears. That way he can never see it, and whenever she looks at Oscar, she can see it. Win, win, win. No. That's- Okay, well, brainstorm, own the solution. How about I leave it up? How about she takes it down? How about Angela can keep it up on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Okay, that is called a compromise, and it is style three, and it is not ideal. To sum up, win-win, make a poster and a t-shirt. Win-lose, make a poster down, compromise, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and the answer is... Make the poster into a t-shirt. Win-win. Win. It is done. So uh, for this message, for you to remember, I've made 250 t-shirts of the babies playing sex. No, I'm just, just a little fun there. Do you see them illustrating all those principles of uh, interaction there? Um, let me get just a, a, a serious for a, a moment here. I was reading a story, I was moved by this article, and I've referenced it a number of times, from a couple of Kay and Rick Warren. They're one of the most well-known, he's one of the most well-known pastors in the nation. And she wrote an article a number of years ago, 
And uh, she talks about that right away as they entered into marriage um, at age 21, um, this brand new marriage, they entered into what she called marriage hell. She wasn't being sarcastic. She wrote, we didn't even make it to the end of our two-week honeymoon in British Columbia before we knew our relationship was in serious trouble. We had been warned about five areas of potential conflict all couples have to deal with, and we immediately jumped into five of them. Sex, communication, money, children, and in-laws. Then we argued about arguments and began to layer resentment on top of resentment. It was a perfect setup for misery and disenchantment. And yet, they're still married today. Over, I I believe, 25 years ago. And, And that they did not cut bait and run in fact, they recognized that, that they didn't really jive their, their personalities, she says later, that they didn't really jive together. But to honor God, they faced this conflict in their marriage. She said it was hard, it was challenging. She goes on to say, I know what it's like to choose to build our relationship, to seek marriage counseling again and again, to allow our small group and our family into the struggle, to determine one more time to say, let's start over and please forgive me. And I was wrong and I forgive you. I know what it's like to admit that my way isn't the only way to see the world and to try to imagine what it's like to be on the other side of me, to choose to focus on what is good and right and honorable in my husband instead of what drives me crazy, to turn attraction to another man into attraction to my husband. I know what it's like to be cracked open by catastrophic grief. They had a son with mental illness that took his life. To share it with your spouse when you are so different. She engaged. She fought. Both of them did. They they fought through the conflict. They didn't cut bait. They didn't make excuses. They didn't justify. They forgave. They they, they forgave one another. They asked for forgiveness. They returned again and again. They fought for unity. Listen to her testimony. I'll just read a little bit more of her testimony of transformation in that process. Each of us is not who the other was looking for. But each of us is who the other desperately needed to become the person we each are today. Yet it's also been the very best thing that has ever happened to either of us. Do you realize what she just said? Marital hell was the best thing ever. (laughs) Pressing through, right? Uh, She says, we wouldn't be who we are today without each other. 
The shrieks of iron sharpening iron has often sounded like gears grinding on bare metal, but the result has been profound personal growth in both of us. Friends, I think that's when conflict becomes sacred, right? God is a God. He is about forming and shaping who you are, your soul, right? This, the interior kingdom work that, that he does not want to leave you who you are. You were created in the image of God, but we're broken, we're fallen, right? The, there's issues that we each have and he wants to allow difficulty and struggle, even marital health. to form and shape us into the people that Jesus died for us to be so that Christ might form in you. Amen. That's how he wants to use sacred conflict to form and shape us. What would it look like if this church was made up of people who didn't cut bait and run, who honestly said, man, this is hard. I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I, I wish you would have made a better call. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not going anywhere, but, but I'm struggling. I, we need to work through the... Would that be amazing if, if we were a community of faith and it wasn't just our marriages that, that fought for the good of the kingdom of God and allowed God to work in our hearts and souls. What would it look like if our friendships and our relationships that we faced struggle, we faced conflict, we faced disagreements, we even sinned against one another? It's gonna happen on occasion. And yet, instead of say, you know what, I'm going to find a, a, a new relationship. I'm going to find a new church. I'm going to find a new marriage. I'm going to find a new friend. Then we said, let's, let's stick with this. Let's, let's stay engaged for the long haul. I'm convinced, friends, that just in the midst of conflict, when, when God is going to do some of his best transforming work, people leave. Right when he's going to teach us that, that key moment when we're wrestling and we're praying and we're struggling. We're out. I think that's why he allows conflict in the midst of sacred friendships. Because there's work that he can do in the midst of conflict that you just can't when everything's just peaches and cream, right? What would it look like for a church that we, we hung in there? One final piece. I am in conflict and mad at the time. All right. One final piece. I, 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 think, that, um, I think that the story of, of Barnabas and Saul 
illustrates, but kind of in a roundabout way, is do you know that there is a goal, part of the you know, conflict resolution, five steps, you can you know, look at healthy conflict resolution. One of those things is always you find that common goal, what's a win-win, you get on the same page. Do you know that there's a common goal and a common purpose within the kingdom of God? It's a very broad goal, but I think it applies to every situation that the kingdom of God is about the restoration of all things. The restoration of our earth, the restoration of our relationships with one another and with God. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself applies this relationally at the end of 2 Corinthians He's been talking about all these, all these issues, relational issues that the Corinthian church has struggled with. And he says this at the end of the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration. He's talking primarily about relationships here. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You might feel like that's a little hypocritical. The Apostle Paul, he just took off from Barnabas, right? Do you know that the story of John Mark is not over there? In fact, John Mark, he goes on to become in close association with Peter, the Apostle Peter, and he writes the Gospel of Mark. But then he also goes on to have close association with Paul himself. In fact, Paul mentions him in a couple, the end of a couple of the epistles. He says he's become invaluable to me and my ministry. So within Scripture, you see a restoration of that relationship between John Mark and Paul. You see, I believe that, that Barnabas and Paul both had not only the kingdom work and the effectiveness of the kingdom work in mind, but they, I, I'm, if, I, if I approach this with a grace-filled lens, that they both wanted to see John Mark restored. Barnabas saw it one way and Paul saw it another so they said, well, let's agree to disagree on this, but they still, at least, or maybe Paul, maybe you could argue Paul came around and wanted, but, but the goal of the restoration of John Mark was there. We've been told under that umbrella of restoration that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Again, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know that you, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been given a ministry, a ministry of That means that we help others be reconciled to God. Paul says if we are not with God, we are enemies of God. There's conflict with God. 
Your neighbors who do not know God, they are in conflict with God, whether they recognize it or not. We're, we're called to serve a ministry of reconciliation between them and God. But then he also says Jews and Gentiles among people horizontally, we are given a, we should be a people of restoration. We should be a people of reconciliation. We shouldn't be like, oh, well, that's a bummer. I guess we're, no, that's done. But we should be actively living reconciliation in all of our relationships with our mother-in-laws, our father-in-laws, with our kids, with our spouses, with our enemies, with our co-workers. Another phrase used in scripture it's such an important phrase that Jesus elevates it and makes it one of his beatitudes. He said, blessed are the, the peacemakers. They'll be called sons and daughters of God. You'll look like your heavenly dad if you're pursuing peace, reconciliation, and restoration. Let's pray. I was praying for us today and I felt like the Lord, maybe this was just me, but it felt like it was for the whole congregation. Is there one relationship that you have that's in desperate need for God's work. I'm guessing that many of us have a couple of relationships that are strained or difficult. But is there just one relationship that the Lord would place on your heart that he's calling you to live in a different way, to engage that relationship, not how you've been doing, not how you've learned it from the world, but to make this relationship sacred. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to all of us for a moment individually? So thankful that you know us intimately. Would you highlight that one relationship? And Lord, how would you have us live into that relationship differently? Maybe he's calling us to simply apologize to that person. Maybe he's calling us to forgive that person. Maybe he's calling us simply to engage a text, an email a cup of coffee. 
going to take communion together, and I want to read this verse in light of communion that Jesus said this. This is from the, Beati- uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is doing there is is he's prioritizing the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, this is important. Do this. I think in New Covenant, we get to bring that struggle to the table. And we get to say, Jesus, help. Forgive me for living poorly into this relationship. Give me your resources to go make it right with my brother or my sister. So Lord, we confess we are people who desperately need you. We need more of you and more of your work in our lives. Fill us, renew us. Lord, would you fill us with your grace and your mercy? Would you communicate it through these sacred elements? I'd like to invite the elders forward. We have a a station for each section at the appropriate time. If you leave your section to the your right, uh, we're doing communion by intinction. So you take bread or the cracker and at the station, you dip it in and you take it right there between you and the Lord and then return to your section based on your, to your left. If there's a line in one particular station, you can go to another station. We're not legalistic about that. You can go whichever way you want. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread. After he took it, blessed it, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood, a new relationship. Remember, whenever you drink it, He invites us to remember his sacrifice that we get this divine exchange of our sin for God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Friends, all is ready. 
he invites you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've committed your life, would you come and take the holy element?